The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about tech stock investing. The NASDAQ composite, the market's tech stock benchmark, fell into correction territory this week. That means it's down 10% from its November high. Barron's tech editor, Alex Ewell, joins me today to discuss what's next for the NASDAQ, the Microsoft Activision deal, Netflix earnings, 5G, and a whole lot more. Welcome, Alex. It is great to be back together with you on Barron's Live. Yeah, it's been forever, Lauren. Happy New Year. And the same to you. Can't believe we're still saying that. <laughs> but we mean it. Anyway, stocks are up today. I love to see that. It reminds me of the good old days of 2021. But the NASDAQ has had quite a sell-off before today. Tell me, where do you think we are now? Yeah, well, so first of all, I feel like we couldn't have picked, it has been a while since we talked, we couldn't have picked a better time for our call today. We're sort of at this um, perfect point for the NASDAQ last night, or for tech stocks, right? Because last night- the Imperfect, NASDAQ, really. <laughs> imperfect, perfect, however, you know, perfect to talk about at least. Because um, last night, the NASDAQ entered correction territory, right? That means it's signaling a 10%, or that's a 10% drop from its last high. Um, and then tonight, we have really the start of tech earnings with Netflix reporting. So we're at like sort of this perfect point to discuss the past and the future. So I love that. Um, but you asked where we are right now, right? So um, so we're coming off of this, this correction point last night in which the NASDAQ um, hit that 10% sell-off. That's from its uh, last high in November. And um, we have some great data on that that I just wanted to share because the obvious question is, so what we're, you know, what now? Um, so this was the 66th time um, since that the NASDAQ has entered so-called correction territory. I think that's going back to the early 1970s, that data. Um, and of those 65 corrections prior, 24 of them have uh, gone on to to fall into bear market territory, right? So that's a 20% decline is right. bear markets. So that's about, that means basically about a third of the time, these corrections where we are right now turn into 20% decline. So that's just something to think about. So certainly the, the majority of the time we still see snapbacks and not further uh, larger, much larger declines. So um, is there anything to look for to give a hint as to which way things will go? Where do you think things will go at the moment? So, you know, in terms of where we go now, I mean, I, I did, I, I, I spent a lot of time looking at that. I, there's a lot to talk about for the future, but I thought we could at least continue, like, let's look at some historical trends to just give okay. know, sense right now, because I don't know for sure where we're headed, but we all know where we've been. So, um, Tech stocks have shown this really amazing resiliency. I think we, we know that in sort of, we know that, and so, but the, the numbers really um, make it clear. Um, so if we look back at the last NASDAQ correction, and I remember talking about that basically a year ago on this call um, when, when the NASDAQ was down 10%, within one week after entering that correction, the NASDAQ was up 7%. And a month, a month after it, it was up 10%. 
So six, that was a nothing burger. It, it turned right, and six but months later, feels, it, it, it was twenty percent. I mean, this feels a little different. The Fed is raising rates, or is going to raise rates. It's going to drain liquidity from the system. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's fair. It does feel a little different. Um, you know, the, the the framework for why it's happening right now is still that yields are are rising. Um, so we're back to one point eight percent on on the ten year yield. We were a year ago, and in the last correction, we were at like I think we peaked at about one point seven five percent. So we could argue whether yields were getting ahead of themselves a year ago, but now they're right because the Fed is more aggressive. Um, so maybe so so that's what makes it different, as you said, right? The Fed is finally basically said they're in this rate hiking point. I guess the the, the counter argument to that would be that a year ago there was so much anticipation. And here we are now a year later, and we, we sort of know it's going to happen. So shouldn't it be priced in? I mean, that would be my... Um, that's, a, that's fair. That would be my pushback to that um, in terms of why maybe you could argue that, that tech stocks are are in better spot right now than they were a year ago, right? We, we, we've, we've, we, we've priced it in. Um, and, um, you know, I think um, the Dow has had a much better run. So I think... I don't know. I, I guess I could tell you I have reason to think I would be more optimistic right now, maybe, than I was um, a, a year ago. And I think the reason, by the way, we're seeing this two percent, uh, nearly two percent rebound for the Nasdaq today, is that um, investors may be kind of coming to this idea once again that yields have hit a plateau, at least at this one point eight percent or so. Um, just two days ago, they were at one point eight seven percent, and so it's down. Um, you know, what is that? Uh, seven basis points. That's a, that's a sizable move in two days. Um, and, and I think uh, that that could allow this this near term rebound. Um, you know, some of this gets beyond my own expertise, but I think it's possible that the higher jobless claims we got today, uh, about 286,000 initial claims were filed over the last week. And that was versus expectations of 220,000. So that slowdown or that increase in joblessness could maybe buy the Fed a bit of breathing room. Um, I think that's possibly why we're seeing this rebound today for tech and, and really the market uh, more broadly. So I think the big question is whether, regardless of where rates go, what the bigger picture looks like, big question is whether the sell-off is a buying opportunity yeah. at this point. A lot yeah. of tech stocks got crushed in the last few months. I know we've been talking in the office about what to do. What's your take on it at the moment? Hard to yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the correction um, is in some ways, this 10% decline for the NASDAQ is kind of underestimating the move for tech, right? Because we've talked about how you have these really large companies that are down 10%, let's say, um, like the FANGs, but a lot of smaller companies are down 50% or more. Um, so, you know, there are, there are a lot of stocks that are in bear market territory and worse. And, and so I think that does really raise the question of, so should we finally be buying some of these names? Um, you know, uh, I'll just give up some of the, the, the ARK Innovation ETF, for instance, which have kind of have become a proxy for high growth tech during the pandemic. Even more than the NASDAQ. Far, right, exactly. Far more than the Nasdaq. And that's because it had names like Tesla, Shopify, um, and, and all the high, a lot of the high growth companies. Um, it's down 50% from its high almost exactly one year ago, right? So it never recovered from that 
year ago NASDAQ correction we were, we were just talking about. Peloton is down 80% over the last 12 months. Zoom is down almost 60%. Chegg, which was kind of a, a big winner from stay-at-home or online learning, is down 72%. And then we had this other class of pandemic plays that had actually held up pretty well through the reopening, through the first reopening last year. Those are names like uh, Roku and Shopify. They've even come off in the last three months really, really significantly. So Roku's down 47%, Shopify, which is a really great company that's shown that there's a way to rival Amazon in the world of e-commerce is down 30% over the last three months. Of course, Amazon itself is down. And Amazon itself is down and, you know, has really underperformed the rest of big tech. Um, so, you know, I think, as you said, the big question is whether to buy these. We are spending a lot of time talking about that right now. So I'm not sure I want to get too far ahead of our own kind of recording and analysis. Um, what, what I would say, and I, I've said this on our calls before, so I hope I don't sound like a broken record, but I don't think we're going back to our pre-pandemic habits. That's my that's my take, right? When it comes to things like business travel, fitness, movies, even offices. And, and so I think, you know, nothing, I don't think anything will ever be the same. Um, we'll see versions of the same and a lot of differences. And, and I think, I think that means there's still a lot of long-term opportunities in digital transformation. Um, whether it's all of those companies I just mentioned, um, it probably isn't. It may be some of them. And, and so that's, I think that's something to think about, um, you know, some of those stocks, which had these exorbitant multiples a year ago, um, now don't look so expensive, at least, at least relatively speaking, they've grown into their, those multiples to some degree. The issue is that their growth going forward has come down. So we investors have to now figure out, well, what do I pay for these, for these still money losing companies like Peloton um, that may still benefit, may still have secular kind of tailwinds going forward, but have slowed. And I think that's, that's throwing everyone for a loop. And um, that's what we're trying to figure out. Well, I think much will depend in the future on how these companies evolve, whether they actually can generate profits, whether they can add new business lines, yeah. whether they can keep up with the changing world. Yeah. And I will say, um, I think a bunch of these companies, I, I'm a, I was a little surprised um, at how, and it may have been that they were just growing so fast during the pandemic, Peloton being an example, that they just weren't able to prepare for what was about to come, which was the reopening. But I don't think anyone should have been surprised by Peloton's slowdown, right? I mean, obviously, as gyms reopened, things the, things weren't going to be as good for Peloton. I, I think what was surprising, though, and probably what's ca caused, let's say, the stock from being down 50% to being down 80% is the fact that it didn't seem like they were fully prepared or ready to transition into the reopening. Um, so I think there was some, there was some um, on goals or, you know, execution issues that some of these companies have made that probably could have been avoided. That doesn't necessarily speak to their long-term opportunity if they can fix things. Right. I think I'll, I'll take the other side of the argument and say, I was surprised by how high they rose as opposed to how hard the stocks have fallen. Yeah, great. Great. That's a fair, fair point for sure. But, but anyway, you mentioned the world of the future, Alex, and that it's not going to look the same as the world we knew. That's because we're all heading to the metaverse, isn't it? Oh my goodness. I, I, I guess so. <laughs> all right. So that brings me to the big story of the week and that's Microsoft's massive deal. It has, 
agreed to buy Activision Blizzard, the video game company, for nearly $70 billion. We know this is a big, big deal in financial terms and the biggest for Microsoft, but how big is it overall in sort of the realm of the tech sector and the M&A business? Yeah, it's, it's so fascinating right now because, um, you know, I guess when I saw this, I was shocked in some ways and and it sort of made sense in others. Um, so I, I, would, I can walk through my own thinking as it happened and then what we learned over the coming days and what we wrote about. Um, you know, if any big if any big tech company was going to make a deal right now, Microsoft was certainly the obvious one. And that's because, as we've talked about, it's managed to avoid or stay out of the regulatory spotlight. Um, and it might, it, it might really be the only company, the only one of the big tech firms that had the breathing room to, to make this kind of deal, right? Um, at the well, same that's time, because it was in the regulatory spotlight years ago. Years ago. They've already been there. They earned their way. Uh, and they got out of it. Uh, and it's yeah. been, I, I would argue, they've done a masterful job of sort of staying out of it, whether they should have or not. Um, and they generate a ton of cash and they have multiple different businesses. Exactly. And that's. I think that's part of what's going on here with wh why also I'm not as surprised by Microsoft here, because they've been so ambitious and sort of trying lots of things um, and spreading themselves and they're, you know, as wide as possible, as opposed to really doubling down. Um, on any one business. And, and I think that is one of the reasons it's been so successful and stayed out of the spotlight right now, because it is so varied, right? They're not necessarily the dominant player in any one thing. They've been slowly building up this video game business for years now with smaller deals. The Xbox was like, you know, a growing business, but certainly not a, a hugely dominant business. So, so that's why I think it allowed them to do this. The, the, the question is whether they now kind of totally flip that script. And that's the risk that that they had kind of one chance now to get a deal done. So they've gone for it. Um, we can debate whether it's the right deal. Um, and then, but then the question is, so does this, does this now firmly put them in the same place as everybody else, which is they can no longer, they're, they're now in the spotlight. Um, I think they very much are in the spotlight now. Um, so, you know, I, 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 we can talk a little bit too about the deal um, because I do think it's, it is a really smart deal. So did, was this, if they had one chance, was this the right deal to make, right? And, and I, think, I think there's a really, um, while they're paying a lot and they paid a huge premium for Activision Blizzard, they're actually only paying what, this, what the company was worth um, back in April, I think it is, uh, of 2021. So this isn't you know, a crazy value in that sense and that the stock was, had already been trading there. Um, and, and I think investors are willing to give anyone the benefit of the doubt when it comes to the metaverse right now, as you mentioned, you mentioned the metaverse. So mm -hmm. if, if Activision Blizzard with its games and its online platforms can help Microsoft kind of grow into the metaverse, investors are going to be all aboard and they're going to give Microsoft the benefit of the doubt. So that, so that's, that's that's good. That's in kind of Microsoft's uh, corner there. And gaming is hugely popular and growing. It's hugely popular and growing. And so that so that's one reason to do this deal. The second is I really do think if Microsoft's kind of if you can fault Microsoft for anything, um, it's that its Xbox business um, has really been far behind Sony and the PlayStation, uh, its rival video game console when it comes to the best content. Um, you know, I'm not a huge gamer, but gamers will tell you that Sony's 
content and their exclusive games are far better and and the reason to buy the PlayStation 5 over the latest Xbox Series X, right? So Microsoft needs to catch up from a content perspective. Mm -hmm. They've done a few deals in, over the last year to, to, to help, but this, you know, what better way to, to, to jumpstart this than to buy the world, you know, one of the world's largest gaming companies. Um, Activision Blizzard makes Call of Duty. That's this one of the largest massive long-running hits on, on, on game consoles. And then it also has this huge mobile gaming business. Um, folks might remember that they bought King Digital many years back, and that's the maker of Candy Crush. So Activision Blizzard is a very much a mobile gaming business. Um, so I, I, you know, I think the deal achieves a lot of uh, different things for for Microsoft. It helps them in the console business. It helps jumpstart their metaverse uh, ambitions, and then it gets them into this mobile gaming world, which has more recurring revenues and it's lower cost in terms of game development. And so investors really like that. So investors may like it, but there is some suspicion in the market that the deal won't get done. And you can tell because Activision stock is trading almost 14% below Microsoft's all cash offer. So what does that mean when you see sort of a deal spread like that? Yeah. I mean, look, if, if, if the Biden administration is serious about antitrust um, and all of its recent appointments, so, you know, since, since last year's inauguration, right, a year ago today, um, suggested it is that, that they are serious. It, it's it is very hard to see how you how this deal gets passed, um, right? And so, I, if you want to kind of understand the the significance or the power or how important this Microsoft Activision merger could be, I, I would look at Sony. Um, the maker of the PlayStation, as we were talking about, because Sony's stock has been down or was down 12% um, over two days after this deal, right? And so I think that's both good news and bad news for, for the deal uh, for Microsoft. It shows because it shows how powerful this combination is and that it could take users from Sony. But it, it also, that, that same reality is what could stop this thing from getting happened, right? Because um, I think Sony's stock reaction is actually making the case for regulators. Microsoft is doing this deal to gain power and to gain an edge on its biggest rival, but it's already, but Microsoft overall is already the second largest company in the world. Um, so if it's additional, you know, if gaining more power now comes at the expense of smaller Sony, I think- Which we should say is no midget, by the way. Which is no midget, but compared to Microsoft, which is worth what, $2.4 trillion, um, can look up Sony's latest market cap. Um, it's nowhere close. You know, I think regulators and lawmakers just, you know, they have a, a lot to think about. Sony's value is worth about 145 billion. So, you know, less than, what is that? Uh, a five, yeah, it's a, it's, tiny it's, it's a big gap, it's not no small company, but it's a big gap. That's yeah, true. everything looks small compared to Microsoft and Apple, right? So I, I just think, um, I don't know. I think um, there is a good, a very good reason that, as you noted, that this thing is trading currently at about a 14% discount to the all cash offer, right? All cash means that this isn't, this is as close to a sure thing. They outside. can get the deal done. Yeah. I mean, Microsoft can get the deal done and all that's going to, but you have this huge regulatory regime standing in the way. Um, and I, and I think, um, I think that's the issue, uh, you know, this is going to be a fun one to watch. Yeah. We should note that Activision itself has been mired in controversy, which in many ways made it ripe for a takeover. What would be the outlook for the company if the deal isn't allowed to proceed? Yeah, I mean, this right. 
So the reason Microsoft was able to get this at a disc at basically um, no more than what the company was worth a few months back is because there has been huge controversy and Activision had had this big sell-off because of uh, you know some pretty significant accusations around sexual harassment and and, and bad culture at the company. Um, the CEO Bobby Kotick has kind of been dragged into that, and there've been a lot of accusations there. The company has said it's fixing things, um, but they've had a lot of problems and. So I think this was is potentially, you know, a graceful, well, I don't know, maybe graceful is not the right word, but a good exit strategy for Kotick, uh, who's been a, the long-term, long-time CEO there. Um, and, you know, Microsoft, you could tell this is an issue for them. You know, I think Satya Nadell, the CEO of Microsoft, does not like this kind of controversy. Uh, Microsoft, just in the recent weeks, had been critical of Activision Blizzard and their problems. So I think, you know, and then... They said in the press release that Bobby Kotick would, would run Activision Blizzard. Um, but then sources reported, the Wall Street Journal reported just a few hours after the press release went out that in fact Kotick would step down once the deal was closed. So, you know, you can already see that this is going to be a complicated issue for Microsoft <laughs> uh, in terms of the culture there. And um, I think it'll be interesting to, to watch that. All right, so let's move on. We've spent a long time on that. It certainly is a very big deal. But I want to talk about tech earnings, which kick off in about four hours when Netflix reports its fourth quarter. And the big question now is whether earnings are going to save tech stocks by reminding investors that many of these companies are actually fast-growing businesses with tremendous earnings power. Yeah, and that's what's happened, not just in tech, I think, but to the market over the last year, several times now, right, where you've got, you've had all of these external externalities going on that have been making investors nervous, uh, whether it's the pandemic, the economy, uh, interest rates. But then when you get down to the, the nitty gritty, what these companies are actually earning each time, at least in recent quarters, it's kind of reminded investors that equities are the place to be. And, and it's been the case for uh, tech as well, which comes back to those numbers and the, and the rebounds that we've seen each time. And, and I think, um, so again, then we get to the same question, well, but is this fourth quarter going to be different for tech? And, um, and Netflix, you know, has kind of been mired in that. They've had some issues in recent quarters because of slowdowns in their subscriber growth. Um, they had, there was so much growth during the pandemic that it stands to reason that there'd be a slowdown, but everyone's waiting to see, well, what's what's the next act there? Um, and we're gonna, well, so we'll start to get a sense of that today. One early clue that should, that I think makes investors uh, somewhat happy from a Netflix perspective is that they are raising prices again in the US um, by like $1.50, I think it's to either 15 or 15.99. We noticed on our bill. <laughs> yeah, so that's coming. And now Netflix has shown an ability Netflix really has shown that it has pricing power, at least in the last few years. Uh, I mean, over over the last five years, I think the subscription has gone from eight to now fifteen or something like that, and it certainly hasn't really hurt subscriptions. So I think I think that is good news. And unless they show, we won't see the, the impact of that until next quarter. But I think that's that's good news for Netflix because it helps the company, uh, and they probably don't necessarily lose subscribers. They've had a, they've had tremendous content in the last quarter. Uh, from movies and new shows, so that's going to probably be good news. And so everyone will be focused on what their forecast, what their subscriber number is for the fourth quarter, and what their forecast is. And we'll be watching that. Um, in terms of earnings, tech earnings more broadly, what I would point out is that I kind of, you know, I think expectations are pretty low right now because um, for the IT sector, um, 
information technology sector, analysts are expecting fourth quarter growth of about six, uh, 16%. And that is below the S&P 500 growth, which is at 23%. Um, and same thing on the sales front where tech is seen underperforming. I, I think, you know, that, that may seem like bad news, but again, I think it suggests that me, you know, there, there's, 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 there's a potential for big surprises here and, and maybe, um, and I think that that maybe helps tech and tech stocks in the coming weeks. This is going to be a great earnings season to watch. It's going to tell us a great deal. So we have some listener questions, Alex, but before we go to them, just one topic I want to go through quickly. Yeah. Airlines, telecom companies, and regulators have been locked in a big battle in the U.S. about the rollout of 5G wireless technology. The airlines say it could interfere with flight safety instrumentation, particularly in bad weather. The telecoms say that is not so. How should phone users, travelers, and in our case, investors think about this big mess? Yeah, and it does seem like a mess. Um, you know, I don't, generally take a, a sympathetic view of the wireless companies, but you could understand why they'd be frustrated here. They, of course, gave the government billions of dollars to buy this new spectrum to use for, for 5G, the stuff that they're trying to, to activate right now. And then another part of the government goes and says, or help, you know, on behalf of the airlines says, oh, wait, you can't turn it on yet because it could cause interference with airlines. Um, so I, I do think they've, they've been in a bit of a tough spot. It seems like we're basically, despite all the headlines, it seems like we've pretty much reached a solution in the last week, which is that almost all of this new spectrum for 5G has now been turned on with the exception of a few towers nearest to airports. Um, so I think, you know, it, the, the headlines have been probably more negative. AT&T and Verizon stocks, which are both, uh, which are the two companies most affected by this, haven't really uh, seen a sell-off from, from any of these 5G-related headlines. Um, and I think it's actually good news that, that that the 5G spectrum is now lit up. And I may have said this before, but I think we're at a point with 5G where we spent the pandemic so focused on stay-at-home stuff and what we can do from home that everyone just completely forgot about 5G and its potential because it's all about doing things on the go, right, and how it can help that. I do think um, we are going to quickly now see the benefits of 5G. If you are in one of these areas where their fastest networks are activated, and that's still largely in cities, um, the, the, the speeds, and I kind of am geeky about this stuff, and if I see 5G on my phone with the uh, uh, some of the UW code on Verizon, which tells you it's the ultra wideband, for instance, I'll check the speeds, and they are just amazing and, and, and much faster than anything I get on my home broadband. And, and we don't even know what, the, what that's going to do potentially for enabling new businesses and new uh, things on our smartphones. So I'm sort of in the, I'm bullish on 5G now after having thought for, for many years that I was overhyped. I think we've now reached the point where it's really interesting. And, and Well, it's really going to unlock the internet of things, many people think. It could unlock the internet of things, which, which of course goes well beyond your smartphones because it's, it's connecting devices like industrial things and at home appliances and, and everything else to the to networks that previously were, were sort of not, not connected. So yeah, I think we're going to see a lot now. Um, this is sort of the beginning of the real 5G ramp, I think. This is the beginning of what, what all of the internet can deliver. So let's go to some listener questions. We have not talked today about NVIDIA and we had a question about that. And, um, Mark says, I realize it's expensive 
but with its assets and growth, it should be. What is your view of NVIDIA? Yeah, you know, I think that's probably true. It's in all of the right places and where it's not, you know, somehow NVIDIA always gets attached to all of the biggest trends. Um, the latest is what it can do for the metaverse because its graphic chips are so, so you know, arguably so much better than everyone else's and so important for building this, these virtual online graphic-based communities, right? And it's so it's been tied to the metaverse. It's been tied to crypto because its graphic chips are used in mining cryptocurrencies. It's been tied to autonomous driving because its chips are essential for helping to uh, do the artificial intelligence involved there. It's pretty much been part of every trend. Um, and I think for good reason. And I think they've, they've shown they've executed and shown that it's not all hype. And now the question is, do you want to pay 50 times earnings for that? And um, my, so my, my take would be you can find possibly less, less sexy companies that are doing similar things, even if they're not executing as well for just so much cheaper. And I think we had another question that kind of was related to this, but um, I'll jump into that one because sure. um you know, so someone asked about what interest rates would do for some hot, high, highly rated stocks like NVIDIA and AMD, another chip player, AMD. And I think it's not great for this company that's trading at 50 times earnings. Um, and, and I think that, you know, you could look at Qualcomm and Intel, two other chip makers that, again, may not have been as exciting or may not have executed as well. But it's all about price, right? And you're paying like, 15 times earnings for those two companies versus 50 times for NVIDIA and 40 times for AMD. And I, and I think um, ultimately, you know, there is a, everyone's going to be lifted here if we get these trends and they play out as people are, are hoping. Uh, so why not bet on some of the cheaper names and turnarounds for, for a company like Intel? All right, fair point. So Andrew asks, why do rising interest rates affect companies like Alphabet, which have strong earnings, but a reasonable PE? And can you compare and contrast this with Sherwin-Williams with a high PE and lower growth prospects? A lot to unpack there. Yeah, um, I guess I would wonder if higher interest rates are impacting a company like Alphabet as much. I, I, I think because they're they're on the cheaper side of, of the big tech spectrum. Um, they haven't been affected by interest rates as much. I think they're affecting things like telecom, excuse me, like Zoom and Peloton. It's really the high growth, really high price companies that have no earnings today that investors then get worried about because interest rates rise and therefore the earnings you're hoping they're going to deliver in five or 10 years just aren't as valuable today when you discount it back using higher rates. So I don't think Alphabet actually was affected by is much by the interest rates. And we can see that in how strongly Alphabet performed last year. I, I think it was up it's like 70, I'm trying to remember if it was 50% or 80%, but it was it was up there. Um, so so anyway, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. In terms of comparing Sherwin-Williams to Alphabet, I think that's really interesting. And I, I kind of jumped on that because we haven't really never talked about a paint company on a, a tech call before. So no. That, so that's fun. Um, and I think what it comes down to, so I, I was just looking at this. So Sherwin-William trades for 27 times, 20, 22 earnings. Alphabet fetches 40, 24 times. So three, you know, three turns higher for Sherwin-Williams for, um, for a paint company. 
the math kind of makes sense because right now Wall Street is estimating 20% growth for Sherwin-Williams this year and actually just 5% growth for Alphabet. Um, now, I, I think 5% growth for Alphabet ends up being a real, probably an, 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 uh, too low and, and we'll see what happens there. Um, but right now what, what's happening is that investors, it's pretty simple. I think that investors are more confident about the housing market and people painting their new houses than they are about the internet and people placing digital ads. So I think you've explained it very well. So I just want to go back to earnings for one minute. We expect that fourth quarter earnings are going to look very good for the tech companies. But what do you think the earnings outlook is for this year? That is 2022. For your for tech. I think it probably mirrors, uh, I mean, I can actually pull up the, the exact numbers. Um, so, uh, you know, it's it's also right now, I can, I can kind of speak to what, what the market is expecting. Um, sure. It's continued underperformance for, for tech versus the broad market. So it looks like for for 2022, uh, investors are expecting, uh, analysts are expecting 8% earnings growth for for the IT sector and 9% earnings growth for the S&P 500, just to put that in perspective. So a little bit lower, um, you know, interestingly, consumer discretionary energy and industrials are all like seen as the far away winners for earnings this year. Uh, so that's what largely kind of economic rebound type plays um, that are really winning out. I think we've been here before and I think we've seen that tech continues to surprise. I think tech, I think tech ends up doing far better on earnings um, growth in 2022 than 8%. Okay. We're going to leave it there. That was my suspicion as well, but I'm glad you said it. Thank you so much, Alex. This has been really great and great to have you back on Barron's Live. Thanks, Lauren. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, Torsten Slock, the Chief Economist at Apollo Global Management, will speak with Barron Senior Writer Lisa Bielfus to discuss interest rate increases, quantitative tightening, and what it all means for investors. So please come back tomorrow for that good call. Thanks again, everyone. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.